Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and get in the Christmas spirit today because we're going to start talking about some Christmas music, which I'm looking forward to. The, the lyrics are so rich in Christmas songs, and I think sometimes we get a little dulled because we're so familiar with them. So we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive today with Beverly Canaris. She is a, f- a former BSF teaching leader for over 30 years, and also co-host of a blog called She Is Becoming. Always glad to have Bev with me in studio. Bev, welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be here, Bill. Thank you. Well, that is the topic, isn't it? It It's Christmas. It's Christmas time. And um, I have just been enjoying Christmas music. I mean, if someone asks you, Bill, what what really gets you in the Christmas mood and Mm -hmm. spirit and really thinking about Christmas, one of my top three, of course, is is the music. How about you? Uh, I would say as well. Yeah. Music. Yeah. It's it's, it's one of the fastest triggers out there. Isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't yep. it? I, I just, I go to my mix, my Christmas mix. I have a kind of particular uh, genre it, that I like. It's decades of nostalgia. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. And it makes me want to bake and decorate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> that can be dangerous. Okay. But that uh, the problem with these Christmas songs is, you're right, we can become so familiar with them, it becomes rote. And the meaning in these beautiful words... I just want to look at a couple of Christmas uh, carols and look deeper into the meaning, to look into the richness of how they reflect in God's Word. Um, There's so much biblical truth behind these words. Uh, You know, there's so many silly Christmas songs, uh, right? Reindeer, uh, The Grinch, all that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, However... One that Paul and I always turn off when we're in the car, on the radio, here it comes, it's a marshmallow world. Yeah, I wouldn't listen to that one I, No, boom, off. Yeah. We go back to Elvis or whatever, <laughs> whatever we're yeah. listening to. But some of them are so, uh, can be quite annoying. But I've tried to choose a few here to talk about that really are meaningful to me because of their spiritual depth, really. Singing is a way to worship, right? We mm-hmm. sing to worship. But I think we kind of forget about that with these Christmas songs that really we are worshiping as we sing these particular type of Christmas songs, carols, that are really referring to Christ's birth and have such meaning in their words. So it's an important part of our celebration and a way to worship Christ this time of year as well. So let's start with the Christmas carol. I probably wouldn't guess this one. God rest ye merry gentlemen. It's super old. It's from England. Um, It was first published in 1827, but it had been around a lot longer than that. We even hear this song in the play, A Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge hears people singing it on the street, and he tells them to be quiet. But you know what? There's no muzzling the joy that we can have at Christ's birth. So let's just look at the first verse and the refrain and just look for the spiritual truths in that. It goes like this, and it's hard not to sing it. I'll 
I'll, I'll probably be a little sing-songy as I say this. God rest you, merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay, for Jesus Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Yeah, everybody heard the music as you spoke it, too. I know, I know. Everybody. I know, and you can thank me for not singing. <laughs> uh, and so, I didn't offer either. So, no, no, yeah. we were kind of quiet <laughs> mm-hmm. on that part, Bill. Well, let's look into some of the teachings. These words are seem a little archaic, so we don't really know what we're singing about here or how we're really worshiping God. The first phrase, God rest Ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. There's a very important biblical truth in the word rest. Why are we celebrating rest? This is so much deeper than just taking a break, right? Taking a Christmas break. God rested on the seventh day. In the Old Testament, God commanded Sabbath rest. And in the New Testament, the concept of rest is resting in what God has done for us and not depending on we try to do to get right with him. I love Matthew eleven twenty eight. Christ says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, there's the word, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So what makes us weary and burdened? It's sin. Either directly or indirectly, we live in a fallen world, and sin oppresses us all every day. So we are weary and burdened as well. So many anxious people today. Mm-hmm. Bev, I'm surprised that, I'm not surprised, but it's such a great song. But do you feel as a woman you're being cut out of this song? God rest ye merry gentlemen? No. Okay, good. No. I always, and I just, when I see verses like this, especially something that's kind of archaic, mm-hmm. I, I don't take it personal because it really was the culture at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't at all. I feel I can be a merry, gentle woman as well. Oh, so, amen. yeah, but you're right. Good catch on that one. Okay. Um, so we are weary. We're burdened. So many anxious people today, as we come to Jesus, he can give us rest since he alone has the solution for that burden, why we're weary, for that sin problem that we have. We can rest on him to bring good from what makes our hearts really anxious. Another verse that this highlights is in Hebrews 4. It talks about this rest we can have in our faith in Christ. Verse 10 especially says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from him, from his. So God saved us when we had gone astray. That's part of the, the, the verse here. And in Romans, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly so we could be reconciled to God. We can rest. Here's the main point of this phrase. We can rest because Christ alone could do this work. We can rest from the idea earning our own salvation, and we can rest from the panic of trying to be good, Christ accomplished our salvation. It's done. His goodness, it was not ours, but his goodness. So the phrase, let nothing you dismay, is a way of saying, it is done. Mm -hmm. Stop striving. Rest. Rest in what God, what Christ has done and God has done through him. Then there's the phrase, to save us all from Satan's power. I can hardly say it without singing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's true. You know, Satan is real. 
this isn't just a make-believe character. He is a very powerful enemy of God and his people. The Bible speaks about him. Let me read a quote from an author and a pastor, what he wrote about Satan. And it's, it's, he's just taking quotes from the Bible and kind of putting it together for us about Satan. It goes like this. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work from John, 1 John 3, 8, to bind the strong man, to set humanity free. He did this first through his defeat of the devil in the desert, then through his teaching and exorcisms, and finally through his death and resurrection and exaltation, in which he disarmed powers and authorities and made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And that's a direct quote from Colossians 2, 15. So isn't that, that is God rest you merry gentlemen, right? It um, is. Save us all from Satan's power. We've been saved from his power. And But how does he do that today? Well, we are indeed under Satan's power if we're not under the blood of Christ. Even Christians, though, can be tempted by Satan. But we have a power of in us, the power of God in us who has defeated Satan. We have to rely on Christ, not our own power, to resist those temptations. Christ, when he was tempted, what did he fight with? Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. And, Word. Yeah, and we have that same offensive weapon as well. The refrain also celebrates all the truth we found in this very short verse. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Three times that's repeated. And this, yes, this is a great thing, a great news that we're talking about this Christmas, this coming of Christ and what's he's, what he has done. That we can rest in the finished work of Christ and his righteousness. We can rejoice in having the power of God in our life and through God's word to fight the good fight against Satan and his evil temptations. So here's questions for us. Are you resting in Christ's finished work and his righteousness? Are you calling upon the power of God in your temptations? He's a defeated enemy, but we can't do it in our own strength. So it is good tidings of great joy, tidings of comfort and joy, all that he's done for us. I like the words comforted and filled. Those are two very strong words. Mm, Aren't they? I I love those words. Yeah. Don't we all want more of that coming from the Lord? We need it. We need it on a daily basis. All right. I think we should uh, just take a short break, and I can't think of a better way than to listen to this song as we go into break. I'm speaking to Bev Canaris, and we're talking about uh, some powerful um, Christmas music and the words behind them. rich lyrical content, and we're talking about that today with Beverly Canaris. She was a teaching leader at BSF for over 30 years and also co-host of a blog called She Is Becoming. Glad to have her here with me in studio. And I think we're up next for Hark the Herald Angels. We are. 
And, you know, if if I'm in charge of picking the hymn uh-huh. uh, for Christmas, I would always pick this one first. I love this. Because it is just filled with biblical theology, Bill. And, you know, we could talk for hours about the different verses, and we don't have that time today. But just to get a taste of what this, um, I always want to call it a hymn, but it's a, more of a carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, I believe refers to that angelic choir that first announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds in the fields. You know what? Just that very fact, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, gives me pause. God sent a whole army of angels singing in a choir to announce the birth of his son to lowly shepherds. Really, they were like the lowest low of the society. How significant is that, that Christ came for individuals like that, that this was who was invited they were invited to his crash, to where he was born. So think about that. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when we feel worthless, we're invited to the crash too. And this is it, you know, come, come, hark the herald angels sing. It's an invitation. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Is that rich? So rich. Filled. This is the theme of the whole Bible, right in this sentence, reconciliation for God and mankind after the fall of sin and rebellion against God. The plan has always been reconciliation or redemption. And this is what Christ did. Only through Christ and his atoning work on the cross for our sins can we be reconciled to God by faith in Christ. Going on, it says, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. You know, it was prophesied that the long-awaited Messiah would reconcile us to God and he would be born in Bethlehem. Um, Even the the, uh, religious leaders of the day, when asked where would this king be born, and they said Bethlehem. Again and again, we see that everyone knew that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a small town outside of Jerusalem, and we can find the prophecy in the Bible in the book of Micah, chapter 5. And this is how it reads. But you, O Bethlehem, though you are very small, the clans of Judah out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. This is the part that just makes me swallow. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You know, a lot of us don't realize Christ has always existed. He's, He's from the beginning of time. He always was. He didn't just exist coming in as a child. He put on flesh at that point, but he's always been from old, from ancient times. I love that phrase. Now, some have counted over 300 prophecies. This is a prophecy, the place where he would be born. 300 prophecies that Christ fulfilled in his coming to earth. Now, the fact of that fulfillment alone and those prophecies is such a powerful argument to put your trust in Christ. In fact, I had a a friend who was um, of another faith, and when she started to hear all these prophecies about Christ, received Christ as her Savior, she thought, it can be no other. Mm -hmm. It could be no other. You know, look these up. I just Googled it. You can Google it on your phone and and look up all the different prophecies. You'll see lists of 300, lists of 20s and 40s and 60s, however you want to look at them. But it's powerful to maybe that would be a good Advent activity for you or even for a family. And then in verse 2, a highlight is offspring of the virgin's womb. 
again, the importance of the theology here. Um, God was the Father here. Uh, There was no sin in this conception. Christ would be born sin-free because of the virgin birth. And then it goes on to say, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail his incarnate deity. Jesus is God in flesh. Incarnate means in coming into the flesh. Um, He is one with God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in John chapter 14, Philip asked Christ, uh, show me the Father, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said back to him, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been uh, with and among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me? And Jesus is even more clear in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. So veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail his incarnate deity. So that is what we are praising God for when we sing those words. The next line is, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, if you read Philippians chapter 2, it goes into great deal how Christ left his glory, that glory that he had from all time, and he came down to earth so humbly to die on our behalf so we can be set free from the judgment of our sin and be forgiven. It says in there, mild he lays his glory by. He didn't, his glory was something he did not grasp onto, but was willing to set it aside and be veiled was still there, but it was veiled in flesh. And then the real crescendo of the last three short lines of this beautiful Christmas carol um, is this, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give a second birth. I just want to clap when I read that. I love that phrase. Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead, promises eternal life for those who know him as Savior. Because our sins has been taken away through Christ, we can dwell forever with Christ. The Lord is holy, and only holy people can have fellowship with him in his kingdom. So we give, this is the greatest deal ever of all time, and reason to celebrate at Christmas. We give Christ all our sin through repentance, and then we are given Christ's holiness through faith in him. That's amazing. Mm. Good news. Yeah, the second birth right out of the Bible. John Mm -hmm. 3, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So through faith in Christ as our Savior, God the Holy Spirit comes into us and gives us new spiritual life where we were once dead. Before we know Christ, before we receive him, we are spiritually dead. Martin Luther was quoted as writing, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. And I think that's a a, a clever way, really, to put that, that as we receive Christ, yes, our flesh will die, but we will be born again into his kingdom. So is Jesus described here, is, is this the same Jesus you know? Is he the incarnate deity? Have you received the second birth through faith in Christ? Well, our, our third hymn to look at, Bill, is Go Tell It on the Mountain. I think this is kind of a fun one, and um, I always love singing it at our Bible study class the last day before we went into Christmas. In other words, I just wanted to encourage all of us to go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. 
And we find the same idea. This is really an indirect quote right from Scripture in Isaiah 40, verse 9. You who bring good tidings to Zoin. Zoin. That would be Zion, wouldn't it? (laughs) Zoin. Uh, Go up on a mountain high. You bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice. Shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaim peace with good tidings. So beautiful um, quote of scripture from this hymn as it starts out. That's the point of the song, go and tell. It's the great commission from Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Christmas is a powerful time to share the truths about who Christmas is all about. It's who. You know, our society I really am sad. I feel like they're intolerant of even the word Christmas. Now it's winter holiday, happy holidays. It's been secularized and sanitized of Christ. I recently heard of a doctor who was rebuked for saying Merry Christmas to his patients. Let's take that in a minute. Hmm. That would be uh, tough. I I don't know if I'd like that, but anyway. Yeah. I know there's lots of things we can do to go tell the good news about Christ. And I, I know that you've got a couple of great suggestions. We've only got about a minute and a half left, but uh, let's hear some good news suggestions of a way to go tell it on the mountain. Well, I do love Christmas cards is a good way to have a Christmas message, to read scripture at your table for prayer, for meaningful discussions. Um, Talk about the symbols of Christmas, the lights, the candy canes, all of these, the three gifts, the stars, all of those point back to the Christmas story. Put out your nativity set. Tell the story of Christmas. Um, Parents, teach your children uh, about the prophecies, the meanings, and read, uh, memorize Luke 2. Attend services as a priority. Serve as a family. Do Advent devotionals and candles and listen and sing to some beautiful music. And I would recommend exposing your children early to Handel's Messiah, written in 1741 by Handel, who was crying through his composition, wrote it in record time. It's such a gift to the world any time of the year, but especially at Christmas. And it's something I passed on to our children as well. So music is a great part of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Let's pay attention to the words and the meaning in our famous, in our favorite Christmas carols and worship again. So good. It gets me in the mood just to want to listen to Christmas music now tonight. Doesn't it? Yes. I, I'm, I'll, I'll be doing that too. Yeah. I, and God rest ye merry gentlemen. I just love that song. You picked some great songs to talk about today, Bev. Thank you, Bill. Hark the Herald Angels is fantastic. And Go Tell It on the Mountain is probably the one I would like the least of the three, but it's still a fantastic song. It is. Yeah. It's got an important message. Yeah. All this good news has got to be shared. <laughs> I feel like I should hear John Denver singing it or something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could find something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe. I'll have to look for it. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bev, and Merry Christmas. Great to Merry have you Christmas. here. Thank you for uh, this meaningful discussion of some very powerful Christmas songs, all based in Scripture. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, O.S. Hawkins is going to join me about prayer. Can't wait for that. We'll be right back.
I love the topic of prayer, and I'm excited to talk to Dr. O.S. Hawkins about his new book called The Prayer Code, 40 Scripture Prayers That Every Believer Should Pray. And I, I, I love books like this because I can have it uh, in my backpack on my nightstand, and I can open it and read three pages and get a lot out of it. And it's great structure, it's great discipline, and it's just great information. He is um, an author of over 50 books, and he really wants to just help uh, believers grow in their faith and understand the truth of scriptures, and I, I so appreciate that about him. OS, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. It's always a joy being with you folks. So, well, yeah. I understand you're not having a real, real cold day today. No, we're not at all, and we're loving it, just so you know. <laughs> That's great. You know, from the first time I met you and you came on the show, I, I admired very much what I considered to be uh, you were a man of great discipline and focus and goal setting and mission minded and I thought I like this guy. Well, thank you so much. And the prayer code is a really a nicely uh constructed book and let's talk about how you laid it out and what you want believers to uh to learn from this book. There's 40 scripture prayers every believer should pray. And I'm on the fifth one right now, which is uh, Prayer According to the Will of God from Matthew 7, 7. Maybe you could walk us through that. Yeah, I'd be honored to. You know, the prayer code is uh, the 10th in a, in a series of devotionals that we've done with Thomas Nelson. They're all these beautiful leather-looking gift editions that uh, make great gifts. The first one was the Joshua Code, uh, 52 scripture verses every believer should know. You know, Bill, they're... Uh, new believers or older believers that want to really get into the Word of God, they start in Genesis. If they make it to Leviticus, they get bogged down. <laughs> or if they start in the New Testament, Matthew 1, there are 47 names they're immediately confronted with they can't pronounce in the, in the genealogy. So I picked 52 verses in the Bible that I believe everybody should know. And if you know those 52 verses, you'll know the theme of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so that devotional, it really took off. And then uh, I was devotionally reading, and uh, I was astounded that Jesus was always asking questions, and yet he had all knowledge. And so it dawned on me that that was his way of teaching. And so I I next followed that with the Jesus Code, which is 52 scripture questions every believer should answer. There are 52 questions asked in the Bible that everybody believer ought to answer before they get to heaven. So we've been doing all these code books about the Bible, not trying to get people into the Bible as much as trying to get the Word of God into people. And it just dawned on me that that the Bible without prayer has no real dynamic. If all we do is read the Bible and never have a prayer life, it, we, we lose some dynamic of the Christian experience. And if all we do is pray and never read the Bible— uh, then we have no real direction in life. So like ham and eggs or steak and potatoes, the Bible and prayer go hand in hand. So <laughs> consequently, uh, I wrote the prayer code, 40 of these verses. And I don't want to keep talking, but in answer to your question, I'll finally get around to it, about the will of God in that chapter. Uh, you know, that prayer is is consumed with the will of God. That's the way God answered. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, the Bible says. 
And so Jesus, in that chapter you alluded to, uh, there in Matthew 7, he says, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And actually, Bill, those are just the... uh, uh, those are the three levels of prayer according to the will of God. If, if we know the will of God in a matter, for example, I believe it's God said, I'm not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. He said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, if we want to come to a faith in Christ, we don't have to keep seeking and keep knocking and begging and pleading with God. We ask and we receive. So if we know the will of God, we ask and receive. But as some of our hearers right now, there's issues in life. They're, they want to know the will of God in a matter. They want to know what way God wants them to turn when they get to one of the intersections of life. So that's the second level, seek. And the promise is you'll find if you search for him with your whole heart. And then thirdly, there are those times in life when we know we're, we, maybe we're praying about a kid, a wayward child or something. We know what God's will is and that, but we don't see the answer. And that's the highest level of prayer. Jesus said, knock, and the verb tense, as you know, means keep on knocking. Don't quit. Never give up. Knock and trust the Lord. It'll be opened unto you. So it all is wrapped up in the mystery of the will of God. So, O.S., talk about, you've got now at the end of this little chapter 5, you've got uh, the code word, which is door, and I would love for you to explain uh, the application that that brings. Well, at the end of every one of these brief devotionals, and you said it a minute ago, they're all usually three or four pages. You know, most people, uh, I don't know about you, but I like to read something I can read in just a few minutes and really get something from it. It's not the volume of Scripture that we read. It's what we get from it. And so every at the end of every chapter, there's a code word that we put in there just to give us a reminder that day. And that one that I've just been talking about, keep on knocking and be open, uh, uh, I, the code word is door. So the, And it says today, when you come to a closed door, let it be a reminder to you the importance of not just presenting a petition to God, but moving on to pressing your petition and even beyond that to persisting it, to keep on knocking uh, because you have the promises of God on, on your side. You'll receive, you'll find, and it'll be open to you. So so during the day when I read that devotional, I, I go through the door at the office or here. It's just another reminder to me to keep on knocking and trust God to open the door for me. A very simple visual, but very profound. Every time you yeah. see a door... Be reminding yourself, I need to keep knocking. Amen. Yeah, amen. Okay, uh, OS, let's talk about uh, uh, th- number 13, and let's talk about the prayer that gets results. And you say it is scriptural, so please talk about that. Yeah, okay. Uh, the, in that particular chapter, uh, uh, you're talking about chapter 13. Yes, I am, 13. Yeah, that's the chapter in Genesis uh, 32, the, the prayer in Genesis 32, uh that uh, Jacob prayed, and uh, if you know what he did, he 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 threw himself on the Word of God. That's that's what we do in prayer. You know, Bill, when I'm praying for people, I like to pray scriptures over them. Me too. You know, if I were praying for you today, I might I might pray something like God. I bring Bill before you. I pray that he might be strengthened with might by your Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in his heart today by faith and. He rooted and grounded in love, be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, depth, and height, 
be filled with all the fullness of God. So I, I, I really believe in and what this book will try to teach people to do is pray scriptures over your children, over people, over your friends. And so the prayer that gets results is scriptural. It's sincere. Jacob prayed. He said, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth that you've shown. You know, he wasn't approaching God on the basis of his own merit. He avoided a proud position. And uh, we, God, God hears sincere prayers. It's not, you remember the publican and the, and uh, and uh, the pre the the, the uh, publican who went to pray and beat his breast and said I'm not uh, I'm not worthy uh, to to bring these requests. It's, God just honors a sincere prayer. It's not so much what we pray as how we what we are when we pray. And then that prayer that gets results I think is specific because Jacob asked specifically he wanted to be delivered from Esau from his brother. And he, he made a specific prayer to do that, and it was selfless. And, and you know, Bill, God answers prayer, all of our prayers. And, and when I say that, what I mean by that is this. Sometimes the answer is direct. We pray, and God just gives us an answer. You know, I, I'm ashamed to tell you, sometimes I'm more surprised when he answers it than when he doesn't. I ought to be more surprised when he doesn't. Sometimes the answer is just direct. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's delayed. He puts us in a holding pattern because uh, there's something there that he's, we're needing to learn. doesn't mean he's not answering prayer. It's just the answer is delayed. Sometimes it's different. I prayed for a lot of things, and God answered my prayer in a different way than I thought it was going to be answered, but it was for my good and his glory. And fourthly, sometimes he answers it, and it's denied. Doesn't mean he doesn't answer prayer. He just says no. And quite honestly, I look back over the course of my life, and I'm so grateful that he didn't give me everything I asked him for, that he denied a lot of my prayers because he knew what was best for me. Even when you said that, O.S., I was thinking of in Acts chapter 12, where they're praying for Peter's release from prison. And (laughs) he's at the door. Yeah, really. You know, he got he got out of the iron gate of the prison by a miracle, but he couldn't get through the wooden door of the church. <laughs> they wouldn't come and answer the door. They thought it was a ghost or something. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad I'm glad that the Holy Spirit recorded that for all posterity because we're no different from they are. That's so true. Oh, as talk talk about uh, the we often talk about you know, God's phone number, which is Jeremiah thirty three three. Right. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Right. And, you know, what, just think about that. And we break it down in that chapter. But uh, God, God invites us to call on him. Uh, and, and he promises. And listen to what he says. Call on me and I will answer you. Now, it may be in one of those four ways, but he will answer us and show us. You know what? He'll let us see it. And that's what the beautiful thing about answering prayer is that God will show us, but not just show us things, great and mighty things which we know not of. You know, a lot of times when I pray uh, for my grandkids or my kids or some or some of my friends or some particular cir- circumstance or situation, I, I see God answering that prayer in ways I never knew he was going to answer them. It's a, just an amazing thing. And, you know, it's, it's good to call on him, but... It's also very important to listen to him. 
uh, you know, when 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 uh, when the father spoke from heaven, he said, "This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear him." And you know, there's a prayer of communion after we've said our prayers, where we just sit quietly before God with an open Bible and an open heart and listen to his still small voice speaking to us. See, I believe in Bible promises. I believe God speaks to us with through the by his spirit through the scripture. And, and my wife, Susie, and I have tried to live our lives on Bible promises. And by that, I, I don't mean Russian roulette. I don't mean just open your Bible and close your eyes and put your finger down on that verse and say, okay, that's what. No, you don't find a Bible promise. A Bible promise finds you. Hmm. When, you're, when you're just reading through the Scripture in your own devotional time, and all of a sudden, we've all had this experience, God will quicken a verse right to your mm-hmm. heart. It's the specific word to you in a specific situation, and you know the Holy Spirit gave you that promise, and you climb up on it and stand on it. Because Romans ten seventeen says, faith, what? Comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we get a Bible promise from God. We stand upon it. We believe it. We trust it, and we watch to see great and mighty things that he's going to show us. And OS, talk about the code word for Jeremiah 33.3, which is music. Well, uh, I'm going to have to turn to it real quick. No, I I got it. I got it for you. Okay. Yeah. And this is what I love. So the code word for this is music, and it says, Today, when you listen to music on your radio or phone, let it remind you that prayer is like a symphony. The Bible is the score, the Holy Spirit is the conductor, and you are the instrument. He will guide you into what you need to pray. Yeah, amen. Amen. Sure. Oh, yeah, we're all saying amen here in the studio. Let me take a short break. Dr. O.S. Hawkins is my guest. His book is called The Prayer Code, 40 Scripture Prayers That Every Believer Should Pray. We'll take a short break. Be right back. to have Dr. O.S. Hawkins as my guest. He has been in ministry for over 50 years, 25 years as a senior pastor, including at First Baptist Church in Dallas and First Baptist Church in Fort Lauderdale. He's also president of Guidestone, which is the sponsor of the nation's largest faith-based mutual fund family and is author of more than 50 books. He is a busy guy. So, O.S., let's talk about the prayer of a prayer of desperation. That would be a 17 in your book, and I know there's a lot of people that feel desperate at times in their life uh, and feel that regularly. And the verse is from Habakkuk 1 2, oh, oh yeah. Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Exactly. You know, uh, that, that Habakkuk is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And, you know, we all ought to know what Habakkuk was talking about, and we're going to get to heaven one day, and we might be able to meet him, and he's going to say, What do you think about my book? And we better know. <laughs> And so that's uh, one of the reasons I put that prayer in there. How long, O Lord, will I cry and you won't hear? You know, Habakkuk was prophesying in the days when the Chaldeans were about to come down, the Babylonians, and 
and take captive the people of Israel and destroy the city of Jerusalem. And 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 he kept praying. And he said it was like his prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. And in cha- only three chapters in the book, and and in chapter one, he he he's focusing on the circumstance. Here, the Chaldeans are coming. Lord, how long am I going to keep praying? You won't hear. I keep calling out to you about violence, and you don't seem to say. And you know, when we get in a situation like that, it's easy to start blaming God. That's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. I call on you. You don't hear. You don't seem to say. It's because he focused all his attention on the circumstance, the situation. I don't know about our listeners today, but I'm prone to do that if I'm not careful. Problem comes or somebody says something about me or something happens, and I focus all my attention on it if I'm not careful. But in chapter 2, he begins to focus through his circumstances in his prayer. And he, he climbs up in the watchtower to wait to see what God will say to me. And, uh, uh, he closes chapter two by acknowledging that God hasn't abdicated his throne. He's still in his holy temple. And then I love how he finishes this book because when he once was focused on, on the circumstance and through it, in the last chapter, he focuses beyond it. And most of us know how he closes the book. He said, if the fig tree doesn't blossom, if there's no fruit on the vine, if the olive oil fails, if the, there's no cattle in the stalls, if everything goes kaput. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. This is the same guy, two chapters earlier, as he's fist in the face of God, saying, Why are, where are you? Why don't you do something? And now he says, if everything goes wrong, I'm going to rejoice. And he can say those two I wills in, in, in Habakkuk 3.18, I will rejoice and I will joy. Because of the two he wills in verse nine, 19, he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will lead me to my high places. You know, if we've seen a deer jump over obstacles, that, that's what God will help us to do. He'll help us to overcome our obstacles. And so that prayer is all about focus and, and focusing not on the circumstance, but beyond the circumstance. And isn't that what Jesus did? You know, these are three ways you can look at the cross. Some people focused on the cross. Uh, they just had, they just focused all their attention on the cross, and they forsook him and fled. Uh, some focused through the cross. Jesus focused beyond it because the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the Father. So that prayer of desperation is a prayer that has all to do with where we put our focus. Mm-hmm. And, Bill, can I just interject right now? This, this series of, of code series, we call it the code series, the Bible code that is finding Jesus in every book of the Bible, Daniel code, Nehemiah code, Jesus code, Joshua. There are, there, there are ten of them. And all the royalties to all these books go to mission dignity. We're on a mission to bring dignity to some forgotten folks. And that's uh, retired pastors. In most cases, they're widows now, average age, up in their way up in their upper 80s. They pastored little churches all over America and never made enough to live on, much less to uh, retire on out in the highways and hedges. They retired. They had to move out of, a, out of their home. So we have a program called Mission Dignity. And Ten years ago, we could give give them uh, $50 a month. There are thousands of them in our program. The Code Series has sold over 2 million copies in the last two or three years, and all these royalties go to these people. And now 
the neediest among them gets $750 a month. And one 87-year-old pastor's widow wrote me the other day thanking us, and she said, I get to eat at night now, and it's not just a piece of toast. So every every time somebody buys one of these, uh, the proceeds and all the, all the royalties, my royalties and all the proceeds of it, go to support these kind of people. So it's a great gift book. I know 2022 is coming up, and people are going to make resolutions, and, and a lot of people are going to say, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to learn how to pray in 2022. I pray that they'll get this book, The Prayer Code. Uh, it's available wherever you buy books. And, and buy them for your – it's a beautiful leather gift edition. You can buy them for your friends and give them for Christmas presents, and I trust God will bless you for it. And all those royalties will go to some good and godly people that are living below the poverty level in their declining years. Yeah, Wes, if I could say one thing about your books, they are purdy. <laughs> they are beautiful books. All right, let's chat about uh, prayer for direction. We hear a lot of people wondering, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's right out of Acts chapter 9. Yeah, that, and that's the prayer that Paul prayed. When he's, when, it's the prayer that every one of us should pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God doesn't want to veil his will to us. He's far more interested in us finding his will than, than we are, and he won't veil it to us, and he will he will make known that uh, that that uh, that direction in life that that uh, that he wants us to go on. Uh, Paul certainly found that. I mean, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about the beautiful thing about that particular prayer uh, of direction is that God has a purpose and God has a plan for our lives. He said he, in fact, I, I love Psalm uh, uh, 1611. When Billy Graham signed Bibles, he always put Psalm 1611 in there. And it says that he will make known to us the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And, you know, Bill, the way to find that direction in life, I, I, I operate with, with a couple of words. First word is desire. You know, uh, Psalm 37 says, God, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean whatever your little heart wants, he'll give you. It means if you delight in God, he will put those desires in your heart. He will give you, he will implant within your heart the desire to do his will and to go in the direction he wants you to go. The second word is opportunity. If, if uh, You know, I may have a desire to be, I mentioned Billy Graham, I, I may have a desire to be the next Billy Graham. I don't, but I come up there and rent y'all's big football stadium in, in, in Minnesota and maybe 50 of my friends would show up. <laughs> so I, that's not God's will for me because I don't have that opportunity. But if you have a desire and you have an opportunity, keep walking and trust God if it's not his will that he'll shut the door. Mm-hmm. OS, just uh, in the couple of minutes we have left, r- remind us that God is, in fact, listening. Sometimes we wonder if he's hearing, but let's just remind yes. everybody that he is, in fact, yeah. listening. Yeah, he, he certainly is listening. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned over there in Acts, uh, when Peter was in prison, uh, God was listening. God was listening to the prayers of the people. And uh, God was listening to his prayers, and God hears. Uh, we have so many promises. I'm actually writing the the, the next code right now that'll be out in twenty uh, be out in the fall of 2022 called the Promise Code. Forty Bible promises every believer should answer, and that's one of them that that he will he will listen and he will hear us. If anybody wants any more information about them, they can go to oshawkins.com. It's a 
It's got a lot of free resources, devotional resources on there, and all kind of information about where you can get the, the, the code books. And OS, thank you for making a difference in the lives of so many retired pastors. There are so many that have been impacted by your desire to meet needs at that stage of life. And there are many that are now on their own because their beloved has passed on and it's just them. And I know the supplemental uh, funds they've received from the results of these uh, sales of books has been um, kind of life-changing for them. Well, it helps them decide between whether they're going to eat or get their medicine or whatever. And, uh, uh, you know, I wrote a book called The James Code, and The James Code is how to put our faith into action. And in The James Code, it says pure and undefiled religion is this, what? To take care of widows and orphans. We hear a lot about orphans ministries, but, you know, the 60% of the people in our in our Mission Dignity program are widows of pastors, average age, 87, 88 years of age. So what a blessing it is to come alongside them. It's so close to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on the program, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you, Bill, and thank you so much for having me, and look forward to seeing you next year and talking about the promise. That would be a delight. O.S. Hawkins has been my guest. You can go learn more about uh, this book that he has written, among many, called The Prayer Code, and you can go to O.S. Hawkins. H-A-W-K-I-N-S dot com. We'll take a short break and we come back. It is time for our Old Testament series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so excited to be hosting Dr. Rebecca Ree. We're going to spend the whole hour, ready for this, talking about the Shunammite woman. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.